0: Welcome to the How to HR podcast. I'm your host, Shona, founder and director of Lilac HR, where we help equestrian and country businesses to become brilliant employers. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and let's get cracking. Hello, my loves. Welcome to another episode of How to HR. As promised, This week's episode is gonna be all about how to hold a disciplinary hearing. Because in my experience, employers tend to feel like this is their opportunity to give a lecture on how people ought to behave. And it really isn't. It really actually doesn't need to be that intense. So that's what we're gonna cover today. Now I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of how you get to a disciplinary hearing because I feel like that is a different episode. Well it's several different episodes actually <laughs> unless you want to do you know do you want a two-hour session? No I didn't think so. Um, so when you hold a disciplinary hearing there are a few things that you make need to make sure that you do things that you you ought to do every single time and that's things like how you introduce the meeting. So there's a few things on my little checklist that I do religiously at every single disciplinary meeting that I support with. Typically, it would be the manager who's holding the hearing doing these bits, but because I go out to support my clients and they aren't necessarily experienced in that sort of thing, I tend to take a bit of a lead on that and then hand it over to them. So the first thing you need to do is introduce everybody in the room, particularly if you engage an external HR consultant, or if the, if the employee has brought with them a trade union representative or a colleague to support them. So you introduce everyone, make sure everyone knows who everyone is. This is especially important, like I said, if you use external HR consultancies, or if your company is so big that the employee might not have met HR before, or indeed, the manager who's holding the meeting. So once you've introduced everybody, you can kind of lay out the format of the meeting. So what I typically do is I explain how the meeting is going to run, what we're going to do. So you would explain that the meeting is going to be us asking you some questions and you can ask us some questions as well if you want to. And then you're going to have a break to adjourn the meeting to make your decision. And I try to use simple terms wherever possible because adjournment not everyone's going to know what that means and it also makes it sound super formal and scary so try and just speak normally <laughs> just be normal um you will have an adjournment and then you'll come back from that that break or that adjournment and you'll give them their decision your decision and then they have the right to appeal and you will explain all of that you know as and when you need to i would then go on to explain why you're at the meeting so you need to confirm all the time that the employee knows why they are at that meeting so if for example a letter has gone awry or they didn't understand the investigation um, report or their disciplinary invite letter you can clarify those points right there at the beginning of the meeting without going through the entire process and then they turn around and say what (laughs) What you on about? (laughs) So make sure that they are fully aware of why they are here. I then go on to explain the outcomes or the potential outcomes of that meeting. So if it's a really serious disciplinary hearing for something to do with gross misconduct, you will explain to them that there's a potential they could lose their job at the end of that meeting. You need to make that clear to them. If it's a simple thing like you were late five times last week, then you explain to them the maximum warning that might be issued, but also explain to them that it's possible they could leave the meeting with no further action. Even if it's a gross misconduct um, hearing, you can't have made your decision before you go in. The whole point of the hearing is to kind of consolidate all the facts that have been gathered through the investigation process hear the employee side of things, and then make your decision. So you explain the potential outcomes to them. You would also explain to the employee everybody's role in the room. So when I go out and support my clients with disciplinaries, I am there as the HR representative for both sides. So I can clarify the HR procedure for everybody. I'm also there to take notes and notes of the meeting will be provided to the employee if they if they want them. The manager's role is to chair the meeting. So they're in control of the meeting. They're in control of the direction in which it goes. The employee is obviously there to answer their case. And if they bring somebody with them to accompany them, you explain what their role is. Because when an employee brings someone with them to accompany them, you... I don't wanna say, I don't wanna make a really generalist statement, but I'm (laughs) gonna, quite often, and someone who comes into a company, an employee, will try and take over the meeting and try and tell you what you've done wrong or try and tell you what's not fair, or they'll try and step in and answer on behalf of the employee. And that's not their role. Sorry, I don't know that one. Thanks Alexa, thanks for that mate. (laughs) Off. (laughs) So the role of the person who is accompanying the employee is to provide moral support, to help ensure that the process is followed properly. And they can they can ask questions on behalf of the employee, but they cannot answer questions on behalf of the employee. That's not what they're there for. And I think this gets confused a little bit because some people refer to it as um, an employee representative. And of course, if you're representing somebody, you feel like you should have the right to talk on their behalf. So make sure that you are very clear that they are accompanying the employee, not representing them, because that subconsciously changes the role for that person straight away. To explain all of that, you might want to explain your company policy on whether or not you allow meetings to be recorded. This is a very contentious one, because typically nobody wants to be you know recorded secretly just in case you get caught saying something that you shouldn't um and whilst you can say it's our company policy that you don't record these meetings and if you're going to make a recording we ask that you give us a copy and put your phone on the table um, you can say all of that and they could still ignore you and just record you from their phone in their pocket so typically i don't make that point if i think that there is a massive risk that that employee will be recording it then i do make the point but my advice to you is to always act as though you're being recorded and then you won't cock up you won't say anything that potentially could land you in hot water because if you know you're potentially being recorded and that could potentially be played to a tribunal judge you won't you just won't do it so Always act as though you're being recorded, is is my sort of advice with that. And then once you've got your general housekeeping bits out of the way, it's a little bit of a long intro, but once you've got all of that out of the way, you can dig into the allegations and why you are there. Now, I like to structure my investigation reports and my hearing paperwork by allegation. So I don't necessarily do a timeline. I look at allegation number one. What are we accusing you of? What's the evidence that supports it? What's the evidence that refutes it? What do you say about that allegation? Because then what I can do is I can go through my notes. I can write down all of the questions that I have, all of the things that aren't quite clear, or all of the things that I think "Mm, this isn't quite right about that particular allegation. And you can focus on that one particular issue and then put it to bed before you move on to the next. And I find that just a really nice clean way of exploring all of the issues. It might be that you've only got one issue, in which case what I just said is completely irrelevant. And ultimately, there's no right or wrong way to do this part because it comes down to, it comes down to whatever works best for you. There's not really any rules to it. So the key part of the disciplinary hearing is not to put words in the employee's mouth. You shouldn't be doing an awful lot of summarising or making assumptions. You should be asking a lot of questions. Most of the things that you say in that hearing should be questions. Even if you know the answer, ask the question. So let's use a scenario because you know I love a little scenario to make it clearer for you. If you have an employee who we're disciplining because they were late five times in a week, okay? I would ask them, did you report that you were going to be late to your manager? When did you report that you were going to be late to your manager? How did you report it? Are you aware of our policy? Why were you late on those days? What happened on each individual day that made you late? If you have a much bigger allegation, then obviously there's a lot more to talk about. But that's kind of the way that I would go with it. even if I know that he was they were late on Monday because of traffic and they reported it correctly to their manager on time um, or at you know at an appropriate time and then they were late the following day because the kids were up sick all night or whatever. Even if I know all of that information, I want to hear it from that employee. And the reason that I would do that is to just make sure that the employees, recollection of the events and their statement matches what is in the investigation hearing, uh, investigation report, which it should, it should do. So you go through and you ask all of your questions. When you've got no more questions to ask, you then need to go and deliberate on what it is that you've established, you need to go and understand what have we found out from today. So you adjourn the meeting. So you say to your employee, we're going to have a break, and it's going to be for up to half an hour, go and have a coffee or go and sit in your car or go and sit in reception, whatever the situation is, is. Um, or you and your HR support go off into a different room and discuss it. I'm going to come back to my point on recordings here. During an adjournment. You don't need to take notes because it's more of a conversation between you and your HR consultant or your HR support to kind of deliberate on what it is you've discovered. It's not a foot. It's not actually part of the meeting because the employee isn't there, so you aren't required to record that. But always act as though you're being recorded, because if your employee is secretly recording you in their from their phone in their coat pocket and they leave the room for half an hour and leave their phone in their coat pocket on the back of their chair, it's gonna pick up your entire conversation, even though it's not meant to be recorded. And you don't really wanna take the risk on whether or not that is permissible in court. That's not really our our call to make. A judge would make that decision. So always act as though you're being recorded, even in the adjournment, even if you want to say, gosh, what an empty, make sure you don't. Make sure you're on your best behavior and then when you're out of work and you want to ring your consultant later, then you can say what you really want to say. But always make sure you're being professional. So you have your adjournment conversation. Decide what it is you're going to do in terms of your outcome. Now, deciding on the outcome is a bit like a sliding scale. So on the left hand side, you have no action. On the right-hand side, at the top, you have dismissal, and in between, you have all the other warnings that you could possibly give. So, as you go through the evidence and your and your deliberations and the notes of your hearing, you will move that slider up and down, depending on what's been said, what the evidence represents, um, and other mitigating circumstances. So it's never necessarily clear cut. You can't ever really say, oh, well, it will be a written warning for lateness or it will be instant dismissal for bullying because you have to look at the evidence. You have to think, how long has this person worked here? Have they got a clean disciplinary record? Have they got a current warning on file? Have we ever had an issue like this before with this person? you have to look at everything. Were they provoked? Was there something that happened that was out of their control, which completely prevented them getting to work on time? You know, if you're looking at a bullying and harassment case, even if you think, oh, gosh, okay," there's a lot of evidence against this person to say that they're a bully, but they've worked for the company for 35 years and have never had a problem. Generally speaking, if someone's going to be a problem, and they're going to be a bully, You'd learn about it before thirty-five years service, wouldn't you? Really, you'd you'd see that you'd see those glimmers of behaviour come up at some point in thirty-five. That's a long time, so you have to consider all of these things. So whilst you might go into the hearing thinking, right, I'm at, the, I think I might be at the top of the scale, what is disclosed in that hearing and other information that comes to light may drop you down. We might start off in the middle, firmly on the fence, and you might go up and then you might go down. You really do have to just make sure that you're considering everything when it comes to your disciplinaries. So then once you've made your decision, and you know exactly what you're going to do and you're comfortable with it. And this is why I always say to my managers, if it feels right in your gut, you might not feel comfortable, but if it feels right in your gut and if it feels like the right thing to do, let's do it you have to be super comfortable with the warning or sanction that you are giving somebody because you've got to sleep at night. And if you're not dismissing them, you've also got to work with these people. So you need to make sure that you fully believe that it's the right thing to do. So you go back into your meeting and you call your employee back in with their um, companion if they have one. And you explain that you are now restarting the meeting and we've been out, we've deliberated and these are the things that we have considered. These are the things we've taken into account and this is what we are going to decide and this is why. And I always recommend that you give someone your explanation as to why you've landed on that decision because it generally helps to, it helps the employee to understand where you're coming from. So if you chose to give someone a final written warning instead of a written warning, explain why, explain to them the particular piece of information that made you make that decision or you know vice versa if you said if you thought you were going to dismiss them and actually decided not to explain why, explain your process because not only does that help the employee understand where you're coming from it also helps to reduce the likelihood of an appeal because They're not confused and angry. I mean, they might be angry, but they're less likely to be angry and confused um, because you've explained it to them clearly. Explain the outcome. Explain what that means. Explain if there's anything that needs to happen. So if you are dismissing them, are they instantly dismissed or or what's happening? What you do with their keys and their laptop and their phone and, you know, other bits and pieces. So you need to go through all those kinds of things. You then need to explain to them their right to appeal. Every employee has the right to appeal any sanction that is given to them even if it's just a verbal warning they've got the right to appeal to it. So explain to them that right, explain to them how they should appeal and explain to them what the time frame is. They can't appeal something three months later and it's usually between seven and fourteen days but check your disciplinary policy um in terms of what that says and then ask them if they have any questions they probably won't but make sure that the channels of communication to you are still open for them if they come up with any questions after the meeting because you know people leave these situations they go home they reflect they talk to their family about it um and then questions start to come up. So make sure that there is a way that they can ask those questions of you, um, and then conclude the meeting and send them home or send them back to work or whatever it is that you're doing. It's it's effectively just a meeting that you're having. Like I said at the start, it's not for you to give a lecture necessarily. There might be an opportunity at the end when you're giving your dialogue on why you've made your decision, that's probably your opportunity to have a little bit of a lecture. But during the meeting, it needs to be a two-way conversation. You really do need to make sure that you are getting, you're asking questions, you're getting answers from the employee. And that's it. That's how you hold a disciplinary hearing. Simple's until people start throwing chairs and things like that. True story. I hope that's been helpful for you guys as ever. If you have anything that you would like me to cover on the podcast, or in the blog, or on social media, or if there's any questions that you've got that you think, you know, what I think other people would benefit from this, please do send me an email to info at lilachr.co.uk because I'm all about sharing the knowledge for people to learn from. Because so many people have the same questions you're not alone in this kind of stuff. So do get in touch and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. If you love what you're hearing, then be sure to tell us on Facebook and Instagram at Lilac HR LTD.